We really need to take the recommendations and the guidelines of how to mitigate the spread of this very, very seriously. We declared an emergency and used those powers to address the high-risk activities where the virus is most likely to spread. Sadly, we know that we have lost Oklahoman Oklahomans to, to this virus, and we know and can anticipate that this will continue to happen. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder, and this is COVID-19 in Oklahoma, a daily podcast looking at how the coronavirus is impacting our state. Today is Monday, March 30th. On today's episode, I'm joined by my colleague at The Frontier, Cassie McClung, and Dr. Casey Shrum, the Secretary of Science and Innovation, along with Elizabeth Pollard, who is the Deputy State Secretary of Science and Innovation. These two women are on the front lines of Oklahoma's response to the coronavirus pandemic and are instrumental in informing the governor, leading the state's modeling, and improving access to coronavirus testing. In an effort to do our best social distancing, we recorded this interview over Skype. Cassie is in Tulsa, I'm at my home in Oklahoma City, and our two guests were in Oklahoma City at the state's COVID-19 command center. There are a few moments where the audio breaks up a bit, so just know it's not your own audio feed. I opened our conversation by asking each to briefly explain their daily duties during this coronavirus response. And Dr. Shrum is the first to answer. Yeah, so so as a, a part of the governor's um, task force, uh, I'm, I'm actually um, responsible for um, putting together the healthcare preparedness plan, and um, that that's working across multiple entities, this, the health department and other agencies to make sure that, you know, we are formulating a plan to be able to go out and um, act upon, as well as really serving as a liaison to the medical community, the greater medical community, and um, as an advisor on medical manners related to the, the pandemic to the governor. And I am responsible for facilitating a team focused around ensuring that we have testing capability to meet the demand um, that we see over the next weeks and months. And that team is focused around the State Health Department, um, OSU and OU communities, and then also looking at outside service providers to ensure that we can augment the capability we have within the state. So um, let's talk a little about testing. That's obviously a big focus um, of what's being done. Um, first, can you kind of explain how does testing work? I feel like I've I've been a part of all the press conferences and, and reading coverage and reporting myself, and yet I still feel like I'm not entirely sure, like, just like what the process of testing looks like here in Oklahoma. Sure. So in regard to testing, we are focused on a genetic test specifically that allows us to test for genetic material that's present if someone has COVID-19. And basically that is taking a nasal swab and then doing um, analysis for viral RNA. That test is about several hours in length um, and uh, is, has high specificity and allows us to um, definitely understand if someone is positive for COVID-19. Just from a clinical perspective, what I would say is, you know, from a, from a patient's perspective and, you know, what they're hearing us talk about um, to, you know, what that means for them, 
they're they're still going to go to their provider and if if their provider recommends that that they be tested it's a nasal swab in their nose and so that nasal swab is collected and then sent to the lab um, whether that be in Oklahoma City or Stillwater at this time or to another commercial lab uh, to be run um, as Deputy T Secretary Pollard described. So um, for, for the general public, um, what we're talking about is something that they never see and, and it won't require them to go to those locations. We're trying to expand our capability here in the state uh, so we can turn around those labs faster. And of course, labs that are here in Oklahoma give priority to Oklahomans. You know, there's been a lot of talk about reagents and the shortage of reagents just across the country. And um, OSU in the state was able to get, you know, acquire quite a bit last week. Can you explain why labs need reagents to run tests and how they work? They need reagents to run tests so that they can actually extract the RNA from that nasal swab and then um, process it in a way that allows us to detect those COVID-19 DNA sequences and say that a test is positive. And so these tests are um, reagents that are being uh, distributed through the CDC. I think you're aware that there is a national shortage of these types of reagents. Um, and we lag behind other states mainly because um, other states had their outbreaks earlier. However, a large number of commercial companies have come out with these tests in the last couple of weeks in particular and have gotten clearance from FDA to make those tests available. And so partnering with them is a great way to augment what we can get directly from the government. Yeah, Deputy Secretary Pollard, um, the governor has mentioned before kind of you've been instrumental in helping expand testing capabilities with like private labs. Can you kind of explain your role in that and what that's looked like? Sure. So there are many um, what we would call service providers out there that are offering uh, different strategies for COVID-19 testing. And one of the things that I have been doing is speaking with many of these laboratories to really understand their capability. We want to understand first and foremost that they have the appropriate FDA clearance to be processing these tests for us, that they have a consistent reagent supply so that when we do use them, we know that they have the materials necessary to run the test, and then that they can process those tests in a timely fashion. Uh, the last thing we want is to end up sending a patient sample off to one of these testing labs and wait for results for days or even a week, because that puts us at risk of burning through PPE as a result of healthcare workers needing to yeah. remain using PPE until a patient has tested negative. Dr. Shrum, so last week, you know, OSU got those 10,000 test kits in. I've been getting a lot of questions from readers. What is the state's testing capability at now? Yeah, so, so I think if you look at the daily capacity of the labs that we have in place when they're functioning at mass, maximum capacity, we can turn over about 2,800 tests per day. Now, mm -hmm. we're still in the, in the process of ramping up. And when you talk about the 10,000 kits or, or reagents run mm -hmm. 10,000 tests, 
that's the first set. So, so it gives us about a, a week of uh, reagent to run, you know, 10,000 patients through um, at, when we're functioning at maximum capacity. So, um, you know, that, that means we're, we're still in the process of actually we've already ordered 3,000, you know, more. Okay. Um, uh, so, so we're, we're continuing to order. I think what was really great about, um, utilizing Thermo Fisher and of course, you know, Deputy Secretary Pollard's experience in reagent labs was mm -hmm. to know that, um, OSU had an existing contract. And so because of that existing contract, we were able to become a priority and to receive the reagent as a priority. Whereas, you know, once Thermo Fisher was approved to, to run these labs and to release this to the public, um, many people started ordering their, their machines and their platforms. And um, those that are not a priority compared to Oklahoma State University who had an existing contract and was already running Thermo Fisher Labs. Yeah, I think okay. it's important to mention that one of the things that we've done in the last couple weeks is specifically look at all of the reagent platforms that we have across the state that we can be utilizing and ensuring that we've partnered with those commercial entities that have reagent supply available to match those platforms so that we can be processing as many samples as possible. That makes sense. And when you say platforms, is that kind of a different, just a different way of running the test, just a different process? Because I know, you know, the CDC had their process. Um, how does that work? Yes, each company typically has uh, reagents or kits that match the um, processing system. And you want to have those matched up. And so understanding what reagent kits are available for us to purchase from those third-party vendors and what platforms those can be run on and how many of those we have has been a great exercise. And really that's where the universities have come together along with the health department to optimize our options. You know, this is another thing I've been getting a lot of questions on. So, you know, I've been listening to all the press conference and we've been talking about, you know, who's being prioritized for testing, healthcare workers, people who are already hospitalized. Can you explain that thought process and, and why it's important to get those people tested first? Absolutely. So when we start talking about our healthcare workers, we know that we have a finite number of healthcare workers that are going to be able to take care of Oklahomans should they become ill. And so it's really important for us to test them because if they are exposed or they have symptoms and we do not test them, then they are, they are do, going into self-quarantine for 14 days. You can imagine how often that our healthcare workers may be exposed and how that would remove them off the front line if we're not making testing uh, right away, because then we do need to put them in isolation because they are they are encountering patients all the time. And so it, it's it's for, for, for protection of the healthcare worker as well as the patients that they are taking care of. Uh, the, the second group is the symptomatic patients that are admitted to the hospital. And uh, we need to know that right away, one, because if the patient is negative, we can stop utilizing the protective equipment that we have to use until that test comes back. We have been experiencing, and one of the reasons why we, we put a big push forward 
uh, around this is because if these labs are being sent out of state and we wait seven days, um, you know, that, that PPE that's being used, if that patient's negative for seven days is significant. You know, it was earlier this week, and man, it feels like it was months ago, but when the yeah. governor announced his, uh, just kind of the steps we were taking with uh, Safer at Home, and, and we saw that kind of evolve throughout the week, and um, the focus was at, at first on the 19 counties that had uh, COVID-19 cases, and that's expanded. And I know that's, you know, there, he's mentioned it's a, it's his task force and him, you know, kind of in unison, kind of deciding what's the best approach. Can you kind of talk about that approach? Uh, you know, why was that, you know, why did you feel like that was the best way to go about it in terms of like focusing where we see a case in a county and then expanding once we do see a county? I and mean, kind of how did that fit with um, your your medical perspective on what was best for Oklahoma and trying to mitigate the spread? Right. So, so, you know, the, the, so first of all, social distancing is still the most important thing we can do to stop the spread of the COVID virus. Um, you know, we're really, really relying, and I can't say this too much, relying on Oklahomans to make choices to stay home when they can, um, to stay within, you know, six feet of one another, um, to, to wash your hands, and if you're coughing or sneezing, um, cough into a you know, into a, um, into something that you can throw away, uh, and then wash your hands 20 seconds, um, it, because that kills the virus. So, so that is the first line, um, and vitally important getting all Oklahomans practicing, practicing that, um, as far as the safer at home, you know, that really focused on, focuses on that group of vulnerable patients that are 65 years of age and older. And if you look at the trends nationally, uh, that's where our highest mortality rate is, is in those groups, and that is statewide. Um, putting into f effect the um, non, the only operating essential businesses within the counties that have uh, a positive um, case. Um, I, I think that, you know, that is definitely, those are decisions that the governor takes very, very seriously. I think something to remember is that, you know, our outbreak is occurring here in other states and so we have to account for that as well and and we're watching watching our data and so where you see you know some actions being taken in other states you have to look at you know when the first case was and and their data is is moving you know at a quicker rate because their outbreak started earlier than ours yeah so that kind of falls in line with this with the idea of modeling and I know that's something that the governor talked about at, at his last press conference as something that you guys have been working on I mean really since the beginning but especially over this weekend and I think I've heard that there's kind of a plan to maybe present some new modeling tomorrow can you kind of uh, first off like what does that modeling process look like um, specific here in Oklahoma and and what are you like what are you seeing um, in, in the models so far Right. So, so really what the modeling is looking at is the data that we have. And so um, looking at the, the cases that are positive, how, how quickly are we, you know, doubling in the rate of infection, looking at death rates, um, all of those things are important to our epidemiologist as they're looking at, you know, uh, how, what is our estimation of the number of Oklahomans that um, can be infected? what will be the need for uh, hospital beds, ICU beds, and what is our peak? And when we're really looking at the peak, 
is because we're watching, um, we know the number of hospital beds and the number of ICU beds that are available daily. And so we want to make sure that we have a, a solid understanding of what we're, we're building our plan off of as far as, you know, the prediction of how many patients in Oklahoma, how many people in Oklahoma are going to test positive, need the hospital and need ICU so that as that peak hits, we want to have the capacity to take care of, of Oklahomans. And when you look at modeling, you can, you, you look at, here's the, we model the, the low end and the high end. And um, so, so we're really, what we're, what we're planning to do um, and hope to have that model locked in place over the next 48 hours is to bring in both OU and OSU and the state's epidemiologist um, to look at the data. They've been doing their own modeling at OU and at OSU and to come together and see how those models um, lay out against one another. And, and that's really important because we're, we're making some, some plans uh, going forward that we really want informed um, to the best of our ability on a model uh, that we all feel comfortable with. And um, we've had some great modeling, um, but, I, but at this point, um, we have the opportunity to just have have some you know additional modeling going on and you know from a from a modeling perspective it is just a projection um, but the more data you have uh, the stronger those models are and so that that's really what what we're looking at um, dr. Trump I have a question kind of going with the testing data um, you know you talked about testing and you know inputting that data into this model Kind of, how does the testing data come into play when we have, you know, the state has had such limited testing so far? Yes, and so that is a very good question because when you have limited testing, you have limited data, right. and so you start to really need to focus in on making sure that you know your assumptions are right. And I think mm -hmm. this is that's the exact point of why the governor would like to bring in those things to just another set of eyes on it because we are operating with limited data and um, being sure of the modeling and having different groups look at various things um, is important here based on the limited data right. and the, the the thing that we do understand though is that what we want to come away with is an agreement on what's the maximum number of Oklahomans that are going to be infected the number of hospital beds we need, the number of ventilators we need, and if we can predict the peak of our infection rate, that gives us the time frame we have to ramp up our capabilities to, to be able to take care of, of those additional Oklahomans who might need hospital ser services. So what is that modeling showing now? I mean, when you talk about peak and, and what numbers may be, I mean, what's, what is, what is, what is, what is it, what's that bearing out? Yeah, I, I think just, you know, in, in general, what we're seeing is that, you know, on, on the low side, um, you know, we anticipate that that um, we are going to need increased capacity over, you know, what our existing hospital um, beds are, but that doesn't mean that um, it, it may not, it, it may be able to be uh, 
reached just through expanding the capabilities of the existing hospitals versus, you know, uh, hitting a max and, and needing to establish some, you know, temporary freestanding hospitals. So, I mean, the minimum and the maximum, you know, show kind of different pictures. We need to understand a little clearer is if we're if we're planning for a temporary hospital, you know that can be anywhere from 250 to a thousand beds, um, and so so really having the time to have additional data is important because you know the more data the better uh, predictions we can get. Uh, it has been important, and then you know having other teams looking at various things that um, perhaps you know did not will allow us to really uh, identify what are things that they found in each of their models and, and bring those together and become, you know, solid on the four areas that we've determined we need to know out of this modeling in order to, to implement a plan that makes sense for Oklahoma. Yeah, well, we really appreciate that. Um, as, we, as we wrap up here, so, Cassie and I, we do this podcast every day. And the way we like to end this, because sometimes all this stuff can seem really bleak, right? And it's and it's consuming us as it is you probably even 10 times, is we, we ask each other the question of like, what was like a good moment in the day? And I, and I won't necessarily ask you that specific question because that kind of puts you on the spot. But what, like, how are you finding good moments? Um, how are you kind of finding moments to just kind of relieve the stress or, you know, just kind of uh, take a pause? I mean, are you getting any of that? Yeah, I, I think on a, a rare occasion I am. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think something that I, I think is very positive is when you see the group of task force people and Oklahomans who are willing to pitch in and help and the bright minds we have in the room, those are that's always encouraging to me every day um, to, to be here and working. And, you know, for me, um, you know, being able to to go home. And I, I think one of the things that has, you know, been nice for me in, in kind of the, the social distancing and the slowing down is, is having that downtime to, to, you know, do things that we normally wouldn't do and to appreciate, you know, the people that, that sometimes we don't, you know, connect with or, or make phone calls to because we're busy. So I think just utilizing that time, um, to really connect with people has been a positive for me. And and for me, it's the opportunity to experience the spirit of Oklahoma as I watch people around this problem every day knocking down barriers so we can get to good outcomes for the state. And that's been really exciting. Everyone is willing to pitch in and do their part and work hard and come up with solutions and do that very effectively and very quickly. And so that has been exciting for me. And it yeah. keeps Yes. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, we all wish this wasn't taking place. But I mean, is there a part of it? Do you, I mean, you guys feel like this is kind of part of your careers have been building to this? Or I mean, are you guys happy to be on the front lines in the thick of it? I mean, kind of using your expertise and and your skill sets. I mean, this is a. I, I imagine you know this is will be will go down as a, a historic event remembered for generations. I imagine for you guys professionally too. Is there is there a bit of you that's like I, I I'm glad to be in the thick of it to you know work you know, use my skill sets to help, help my state. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm happy to be able to serve in any capacity uh, that I can and to put in as many hours, you know, as a physician, I, you know, uh, going into medicine 
you go into medicine to heal uh, people and to restore them to full health and, um, you know, train to put in as many hours as it takes to do that. And so I'm happy to have the opportunity to, to serve Oklahomans in this time. And I never would have anticipated that my career in building reagent companies would have resulted in me leading this task force at this time. But I will say that, um, you know, we're given gifts and we're expected to be stewards of those gifts for that right moment. And clearly this is that right moment. And so it's exciting to be a part of that and be able to use what I've learned to help others and to navigate. Um, the barriers that we've had in front of us and help the state do that effectively.